Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Learn From Gaming Podcast. Uh, thank you for joining us as we dig into some of our favorite games and discuss what we can learn from them, and also why we like them. For those of you out there counting, this is episode 40. Everybody hates it when I say that, but I just keep saying it because it's in the script. <laughs> and uh, we're coming at you on May 14th, 2019. My name is Chase Strollenberg, and I am joined by not one, but two... Host today, one is Stu Gritter. Stu, how are you? I'm doing pretty well on this, our 40th episode, episode 40. <laughs> yeah, we got there. <laughs> um, and the other is Dan Murray. Dan Murray, how are you? I'm doing great. I can't believe we're at 40 already. It feels <laughs> no. like I just started. <laughs> it goes by so fast. Um, but yes, Dan, we are very, very happy to have you. This is a special episode. Uh, we are. It's... Um, it's one of our five slash one of our tens, so it's a collaborative episode where we just talk about a single feature, and that will all make a lot more sense once we get into what game we are talking about today. Um, so just uh, just off the top, for anybody joining the show for the very first time, thank you very much for checking us out. If you're not sure what this, uh, what this show is actually about, what we like to do is we like to... Pick a game or two. Uh, usually, Stu and I will pick a game uh, ourselves, and then what we'll do is we just sort of dissect them. We talk about how we interacted with them as we encounter them, usually growing up, and uh, we try to discuss what we like about them and what we learn from them. And sometimes that can get pretty academic, but sometimes it's actually just sort of social or personal or uh, subjective, like how it impacted us and why. Um, and if that is something you're interested in, stick around because we're about to do that again for a, uh, a pretty significant game. Um, so before we jump into stuff, I just wanted to know, does anybody have anything they want to talk about before we jump into what we learned this month? Just any comments? No, I got nothing off the top. Okay, cool. Uh, Dan, there's like, this is sort of like freeform, so if there's anything you just want to talk about, talk about, you're more than welcome to right here. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty good. Um, I like the idea now of going back to all the other episodes and retconning me in them somehow. Uh, that's possible. If you could somehow get uh, <laughs> links. Well, actually, you probably have direct access to uh, direct access to all the final mixes if uh, you were a, cl a clever enough man <laughs> and then you just have to figure out how to get to our pod bean account which um i'm gonna say our password is strong but not super strong you could probably figure it out so just um, s-t-r-o-n-g that's it wow there might be a bad in there somewhere yes um <laughs> but uh but we'll see we'll see uh there might also be a strong sad in there who knows um there's definitely no cheat though uh but uh, yeah, so let's jump into what we learned this month. So this month, uh, this month has happened. So <laughs> this is the segment of the show where we discuss things that we learned about gaming. Um, and this is specifically in the news. So Stu and I love uh, tech and we love gaming news. So if you, the audience, ever have um, news or tech updates that you would like to hear us talk about, feel free to send them to us at learnfromgamingpodcast at gmail.com. So I'm actually going to check the email right now because I don't have it open, but did anybody else bring anything they wanted to talk about today? There was something that I just remembered and now I'm going to try and find it. Cool. I I love it when we come prepared. <laughs> yeah. 
is my fault. U.S. Senate introduces a bill to ban loot boxes and pay-to-win microtransactions. So oh, that was right. that was the thing that happened. That um, that I mean, it, it wasn't a law that was passed. It was something. It's just there's conversation in the American government about it now, and that could have ramifications on gaming and um, yeah. People trying that to make could money have off that like shit. long-standing ramifications on gaming, and not just video games. I mean, we have talked about um, we've talked about gacha games before. We've talked about Magic: The Gathering. Like any collectible-based game falls under that purview. I don't yeah. think. And what's crazy is the people who are going to be talking about it have no effing clue. No, <laughs> right. that, I mean we've we've seen that already with with stuff like the Facebook inquiry. The questions come out of uh, ill-informed Ill people. Yeah, what's a <laughs> face? How do you make a book out of a face? Doesn't it smell bad? Like oh. it's just awful. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I remember. I remember reading that article and. Uh, I think their justification for it or the reason they're going after it is the idea that like pay to win or loot boxes are in essence gambling that they're then targeting to minors. So, I mean, it has nothing to do with the, you know, the actual kind of ethical questions of is, is it okay to be, to be kind of like pimping this out and taking, taking advantage of people um, in the way that this does, but it's more like, it again, just feels like the, uh, the american moral stand-up like this this gambling yeah well and here that's that sort of gets to it right like if if they if they really cared they would just eliminate gambling um of all types if if that were the the legitimate concern which is like sort of a heavy-handed um taking a hammer to a scalpel's sort of job (laughs) sort of approach to it but like um yeah, I think they might even just say it's okay as long as the game is are rated high enough. Like it's okay, not it's yeah. not that it's exploitative. It's that it's gambling for minors. Is the problem. Right. Well, then I think I honestly feel like uh Magic the Gathering and Pokemon cards of all things should also go. Like if we're if we're it, being real. It it's it's a pretty yeah, it's a pretty tight growl array. Um, they're very gosh darn similar yeah well it's the exact same format like they're you really it's apples to apples um the the loot box format came from somewhere uh and there are two very excellent sources and representations of it one is gachapon which we've uh we've we've got an episode on and the other is magic the gathering which we also have an episode on (laughs) yeah Um, yeah, uh, it's, yeah, it is. That's interesting. Interesting. That is actually some very interesting news and I do not have any faith <laughs> that, <laughs> that the United States government will handle that yeah, well. It doesn't, um, doesn't matter what decision they make. It'll be, it'll yeah, be ill-informed. Yeah. Um, I honestly, I don't, I don't even know that we'll, we'll even hear about it more than once more. Well, that's the thing. Like with this current administration, it's actually sort of a surprise what gets targeted and why. Um, like it's it's so easy to forget just because so many things will happen in a single week that um, one of the the big shouting points at the beginning of the Trump administration, in particular, was uh, was violent video games. Um, they became the target very quickly after the uh, the Parkland shootings. Um, and 
that sort of faded away as unfortunately more and more shootings occurred, but also as other, other, (laughs) other events continued to unfold. Um, You know what? This, the Senator who introduced the bill is actually 39 years old. So it's entirely possible that he's one of his kids who actually stole his credit card and spent $9 billion getting like blue hats. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, what can I say? Uh, Fortnite used to, used to have the pinatas, which were loot boxes. I'm not sure if they're still in there or not. I haven't played Fortnite since, uh, it shifted from the PVE to PVP. Um, which says a lot about me, uh, considering it's been a whole phenomenon. (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> but I played that game when it was for everyone, and you weren't killing each other; you were killing zombies. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah, we have seen some really interesting, interesting like lessons that I feel maybe were already learned, um, that are just sort of circling back around again. But then also vaccination. <laughs> How did that right? ever come into question? <laughs> but here we are. Like, um, we'll get rid of loot boxes, but we'll keep measles. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So anybody who uh, has never listened to this show before, you are deep in our politics now. Um, <laughs> uh, so welcome. Welcome to the show. I hope, you f- I hope you feel welcome. And if our politics don't sync up, well, that is just, uh, it's too bad for you, I guess. <laughs> Thanks for coming out. Um, have some measles. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Stu. Um, okay. So honestly, I'm going to just dive into my go-to for, for good news. I'm going to try and find some good news quick. Uh, <laughs> yeah, there's, I haven't seen a lot of news about games lately. And I, I mean, it's been like the only game I've been hearing about is of Thrones and it's yeah. and and it's, it's games like it's yeah, those it's are hard the to two say games. Something good about about the first one. The second one uh, sort of knocked it out of the park. About that first one is having hiccups. Um, but yeah. Oh no. Yeah, I don't think I have anything. Nope. There's nothing. Nothing significant that I can talk about right now. Uh, maybe some other day. So you know what? That's actually good because that gives us a nice meaty chunk of uh yeah of yeah time yeah. for for our actual game uh unless anybody has another article they would like to talk about i don't know dan if you had anything you wanted to bring up um no other articles i've really seen i i've been playing the witness again and that's my own <laughs> <laughs> um dive into insanity but um yeah no real news Okay. Um, no, you know what? That I was gonna say. Like, I want so bad to be able to talk about either Endgame or Game of Thrones, but you can't do it without spoiling it. And now is not the time. Like, we could have this conversation again, maybe next year, and everything yeah. would be okay. I wouldn't feel so bad about it. Okay. Um, but like, some of the stuff that happened on Sunday, oh, we we can I should t- we not can talk off the air. About. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's but, okay. I, I but I mean, I've got thoughts. <laughs> I still haven't okay. seen Endgame yet, but Game of Thrones is well summarized by that picture of a horse that keeps getting progressively more childish. Yeah. Yes, like, actually, like, I the back recently end saw is, that picture. Yeah. yeah. Is a horse, and the front end was drawn by a two year old. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
Yes, and the front end is season eight. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah, I don't know. I feel I feel like Martin just has those two other books sitting there waiting, and he's just like, "You guys finish that show, and then I am gonna make so much money off of disappointment." He just I, made a big post about that. <laughs> That's kind of funny. He literally just made a big post about how he's like, people are saying I'm sitting here waiting on the on the on the on the books. Is my my George R. R. Martin impression? Yeah. But, uh, they're saying I, I've got them finished and I'm going to sell them after, and that's the dumbest fucking thing I've ever heard. Well, he doesn't need to. Like he's no. executive producer on the show. He's making as much money as anybody else involved. So yeah, and his publishers would be furious. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It would be funny, though. <laughs> yeah. Like, what yeah. are they going to do? He could publish his own book now. Yeah. He could, self, yeah. he could self-publish. Um, Back on the street corner. <sighs> yeah. Hey, you, you, want, you want the next Game of Thrones? Here you go. Oh, my um, God. It's going to be a choose-your-own-adventure. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Still probably Which better than you light on fire. <laughs> well, yeah, that's still fair. Um, but, uh, okay, yeah, so speaking of, uh, speaking of dragons, let's move into the next section of the show, which is uh, what we learned from gaming. Um, so the game that we want to talk about today, and because it's a special, um, a, a special collaborative episode, we are going to talk about the same game, all of us together. We're just going to sort of give our different interpretations of it. And that game is Dungeons and Dragons. So I'm going to deliver a little bit of information first, and then um, we'll do a brief overview of the core mechanics. And then we'll just sort of jump into our own personal experiences. What we each feel is, I burped into the microphone, what we each feel is a pro and a con. And, um, if we can find some, I, I can find some. In, there are many editions, so th- some of them had pros, some of them had cons. It's not going to be hard. Um, yeah. And, and then I'm looking at you, was it third edition? Oh, God, there's some editions there, that were just... None of them are perfect. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think, yeah. Mm, anyways, uh, it's been a while. It has been a while for some yeah. of those editions for me. Um yeah, and th- like we just want to talk about what we learned from them, some really like takeaway lessons that we we took from them, um, and how they sort of built the core of who we are, um, in some way, shape, or form. Uh, so yeah, let's uh, let's just dive right into it. So um, the game itself was initially designed by Gary Gygax and Dave Arneson. Ooh, I almost didn't say both of those names right, but I got it. Uh, so uh, it was published by TSR initially. Now it is owned and published by Wizards of the Coast. I was alive to see that transition, and oh, what a transition it was because I was paying attention at the time. Um, date of publishing, the initial, we're going to say the uh, initially got released in 1974, but we're going to talk about like the first box set, so the first edition box set, which was in... 1977 so that would be the characteristically um red box set you actually end up seeing uh versions of it i think in and there there may we may get well actually on this because it's D, &D. but uh (laughs) like the i'm pretty sure that was the the original box set the the original red one was um the one that they use in game of thrones now they use a different module um and we can talk about modules in a little bit, but, um, but yeah, so the type, the genre type of game that this is, so this is a tabletop RPG for anybody who isn't familiar with, uh, 
with Dungeons and Dragons, so what you need is you need uh, pencil, paper, uh, preferably a character sheet. Um, you need dice that you roll uh, to determine certain values. Sometimes it's damage, sometimes it's whether or not you hit. Um, and uh, I think you just need some imagination and some source books. Uh, <laughs> that's uh, that's really the, the cores of it. Um, Depending on the, the complexity comes with the, the edition. So some editions are lighter, other editions are heavier. Um, but uh, what you do is you create a character from the rules that are in the book. Uh, you can choose from things like races and classes. And when I say races, I mean like the, um, the stereotypical dwarf, elf, orc. Uh, and this is expanded over time. So now you've got like half demon, half dragon half orc um human all kinds of stuff there's some pretty interesting stuff in there um and uh then you choose your class which can be warrior like and again a lot of stereotypes so like warrior thief mage cleric um ranger if uh we have any any strider fans out there um which i'm it's funny i'm like i'm looking this is how nerdy I am. I actually have a Lord of the Rings commemorative plate set that my mother bought me like a decade or two ago. <laughs> and I'm like looking at it right now and I'm looking at Aragorn and I'm like, I just called you Strider, motherfucker. <laughs> yeah. um, but uh, yeah, it's... Uh, and then what you do is you need to have, and this is this is another important part of the the uh, core mechanics. You need to have a storyteller that guides um, a group of player characters through an adventure. So the storyteller actually um, basically helps guide the story that the player characters are playing. So the storyteller doesn't have to make a character, but has to make sure that they are able to help everybody else navigate the the setting navigate uh, whatever the adventure is so they actually have a very different job and sometimes their job is actually just doing the player character's job multiple times so creating additional characters support characters or creating things like dungeons making sure that there are monsters that populate those dungeons and there are a lot of things that exist for the game that make that a lot easier uh, sometimes like the dungeons and everything's already made for you and all you really have to do is kind of read out of a book, which is really convenient. And then just make sure that people get the rules right. But the storyteller, the emphasis on the storyteller in this is, uh, is pretty important because you can't really have a game without a storyteller, but also you can't really have a game without player characters. Um, and we will talk about the complexities of that <laughs> and scheduling later. <sighs> okay. So. Um, Stu, I'm thinking, why don't you start by telling us how you encounter D&D? Okay. So, uh, my, I think it was introduced to D&D by, oh shoot, one of two older groups of friends. It was either, um, a buddy of mine who I actually still role play with off and on to this day. Uh, he and his older brother would have played a bunch of times with, with their friends. Um, or my neighbor who I played with occasionally, um, in either case, it was like second edition 
Advanced Dungeons and Dragons. I would have been playing it like in like 1995 or something like that. So I was like between the ages of 10 and 15 when I started. Um, yeah, and, and started out as a player character in those groups and decided I had enough nerdy and imaginative friends that I started GMing for everybody in grade school and high school. So I was, yeah, kind of, I, I was the guy who brought D&D to the... <laughs> <laughs> to, to the, the wee little Christian school that I went to. <laughs> oh, right. Oh, that, 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 was, yeah, that, was, that was really, really helpful. Wow. <laughs> Did any of your teachers ever find out? Oh, yeah. Yeah. People threatened to burn my shit all the time. Um, oh, my God. Yeah. People, if I wasn't fast, my stuff would have been confiscated and stolen a couple of times. But um, our teachers are like 70 years old and decrepit. And I was a, a wee spry track team member. So... <laughs> Yeah, you see, now that is honest. Honestly, if I can be direct with you, that is a very different experience than a lot of people would have had playing D anD. d Yeah, I'm, at that time. Bear in mind that during those years, um, uh, it, it was close to when I'd started playing. Was when there were a couple of Brock students who stabbed each other with swords beneath the school, like in the tunnels beneath the school. So. Uh, there was a lot of bad press <laughs> about D and D, and especially in the circles where I grew up, everybody thought it was like uh, it was equated with like Satanism and devil worship and all that stupid shit, like the, the just ridiculous accusations and it's people just made stuff up to keep things like fantasy out of other than selected fantasy out of their communities. Hmm. Okay. Well, yeah, and that that's fair. So I think, like, what we'll do is we'll get our introductions out of the way, then we'll circle back around and talk about um, talk about some like f- like favored moments, like experiences, and then we'll circle back around and talk about what we learned. So I think what I'll do, Stu, if you don't have anything else to add, is it okay if I shift over to yeah, Dan? Yeah, yeah, that was that was how I got into it. It's how the cool. how the how the drip started. Still, still fucking crazy, man. <laughs> <laughs> People threaten to burn your books. That's amazing. It is, it's like the last vestige. You found the last vestige of like the satanic panic era. Yeah. For, for D&D, which is like 10 years prior to that. But yeah, that's amazing. All right. So Dan, how did you find your way into the great D&D? Um, so my uh, my kind of journey to it was it's not typical and not not typical in the way that Stu's is not typical, but um, um, like when I was a, a really young kid, and also when I was also a kid of average age, um, my uh, my dad had old like uh, advanced Dungeons and uh, Dungeons and Dragons like first edition books that. I was fascinated by it. like I loved just looking through them and looking at the art um, and kind of these like you know black and white line art drawings of monsters and stuff and um, the books were well beyond complicated so I couldn't really wrap my head around it um, back then and I was the kind of kid who was really interested in something like Dungeons and Dragons and the problem 
with that is that when you're the kind of kid who's really interested in Dungeons and Dragons, you likely don't have many friends. And <laughs> friends, friends are kind of a requirement. <laughs> it's, yes. it's, it's, you need pen and paper, but the most important ingredient <laughs> is someone to play with. Um, and so, like, I never had anybody to play with. And I, I kind of, like, you know, grew up playing, like, text adventure games and, like, all the LucasArts and Sierra adventure games um, and stuff like that. I loved the idea of, of adventure and, and role-playing games and all of that. But um, every now, like, every now and again, I had, uh, I had a friend who was, like the son of my mom's best friend and i'd see him maybe once a year and we couldn't do any actual dnd there wasn't really time or anything but what we do was basically talking dnd which we issued the dice and issued the rules and just one of us would game master and the other would make choices and we just do the collaborative storytell um you know, we just kind of decided how this story went without any of the actual mechanics involved. Um, and it wasn't until, actually until uh, university, when I finally got to really play it. Um, and funny enough, it was in uh, a D20 version of the Lord of the Rings tabletop play <laughs> role-playing <laughs> game. Um, where I, uh, uh, yeah, like I, I got into it and kind of just immediately... It was sort of like the thing I had fallen in love with so long ago before even experiencing it that I didn't quite have that like, oh my god, I'm so I'm so drawn into this because I'm like, it's like I've always been here. I've just been out of the room. Um, and uh, then, yeah, I kind of kicked on for that. I played more role-playing games in university than I went to classes. And... Um, <laughs> started uh started uh, fell in love with gming really quick um yeah and uh kind of have taken it from there and i've been yeah doing that ever since cool very cool um cool oh man yeah it's just funny because uh just as as an aside to anybody who is not aware um anybody who's not on the inside we all know each other we've all known each other for some time um and actually we uh, we engage with each other pretty regularly in university. Um, and like unbeknownst to each other, like Dan, I knew you through, um, uh, through our circle of friends and through the Brock gaming club, but I had no idea that you knew Stu. Yeah. Um, and I didn't end up meeting Stu until a few years later and then, um, ended up sort of, uh, meeting a lot of his friends who also happened to be attached to you. Yeah. <laughs> so it was just sort of like one of those weird, a small uh, world moments. Yeah. Small world kind of coincidental, uh, things, but, um, cool. Was there anything else you wanted to add or should I jump into, uh, the history of chase and D and D? Uh, I think that's, that's kind of it. I'm sure there'll be plenty to tack on, but I'm, I'm curious to hear this story. <laughs> the story of chasing D&D. <laughs> okay, so... Uh, chasing the, the dragon. Chasing, yeah, well, mm. there you go. Um, or chasing into the dungeon, who knows. Um, so actually, uh, my story of D&D starts with Heroes Quest. Um, so Heroes Quest was an actual board game released by Milton Bradley uh, back in 1989. And this game had some 
crazy uh, commercials that you would see on TV every now and again. <laughs> and I always remembered wanting to play it. Um, and honestly, like, Hero's Quest is, like, the most dumbed down, but also, like, the most accessible way that you could have ever possibly approached D&D, yeah. especially at that point in the 80s. Yeah. Um, because Advanced D&D had Thacko and all kinds of crazy stuff that I don't want to explain. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so I actually ended up playing Hero's Quest. Uh, we would... My, my brother had a friend who owned Hero's Quest, and we would just go over there, and we would spend the night playing that game, pass out, wake up, eat breakfast, continue playing that game. And I love that experience so much. Um, but uh, I don't know. I was sort of a weird kid. <laughs> And I was always sort of just hanging on my brother to to go over to that friend's house to play that game when it wasn't even really my friend. So the the possibility of ever actually playing that um, that frequently again got a lot more complicated as we got older. Um, and so by the time I was entering my teens, uh, like I, I had basically like I'd made my own friends, of course. Um, and one of my friends, his older brother was very into D and and uh, I got to play a few games with uh, with them because the whole family was into it. It was actually it was pretty cool, mm. um, and they had like a variation. So he played, um, or they played. Uh, it was advanced D and D, so the original advanced D and D, um, but just uh, I guess altered. Uh, so everybody in the house was really big into Marvel comics, specifically X-Men. And, um, so you also got to choose a mutant ability <laughs> because you weren't a misfit enough in d d <laughs> yeah. You also, so that was, that was actually really, really cool. Um, and I always sort of remembered that and that was my first encounter with a house rule and I didn't even realize what it was at the time. Um, but, uh, I only got to play a few, few games of that. And then I wouldn't get to play D&D again until 2000 when um, my friend Ryan, who I've actually asked if it's okay that I talk about it, um, he, he, who, he was also interested in D&D, and I think he got into 3rd edition. I'm pretty sure it's 3rd edition that we were all playing. And this is where we really, like, I really started to get into the swing of D&D, um, so a bunch of a bunch of us would go Ryan would run it as a storyteller and we would play and it wasn't just that we were player characters there was also the responsibility of recording the um re- like recording the adventure to <laughs> to make sure we didn't forget anything mm-hmm. um because this was back when you were teenagers and sometimes the the storyteller would still do that sort of dick move like oh you forgot about this thing I mentioned it like four sessions ago <laughs> Um, but it was interesting because the, the foundations of what you see so many good, um, role playing or role players, like both player characters and storytellers do like the Genesis was happening there. So we had somebody who was taking the time to make a story. He also had like a favorite bad guy. His name was the Jackal. And he would always just sort of show up. Even if he killed him, like he would always come back in another story at some other point. Um, 
and there was it was fun because that was sort of like a continuity thing that would happen um people were already doing the journal thing where like sometimes you will watch people playing tabletop games and the the st will stay or the storyteller will say something and then they will write it down because they're like okay well no this is significant i should write this down or else i'm gonna forget it um so we were all doing that um and when you would start the game again just to try and refresh everybody somebody would read from their journal and of course when you were teenagers it was hideous and crude um (laughs) there was i believe we referenced more than one sexual act uh the uh, getting a white dragon i actually looked it up on the internet it's not a good thing um (laughs) you think it's a good thing it's not um but uh yeah so you know uh, just kids being kids, but uh, yeah. After that, um, didn't really role play until I hit university and got introduced to a bunch of game systems I didn't even know existed. Yeah. Um, or I had always seen, but had no way to play. Now, another thing that happened during all this, um, and I never really properly utilized it, was. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I can't get charged for this now, can I? Um, (laughs) So my uncle had a bunch of second edition and and first edition advanced D&D books. And my mom knew that I enjoyed it because when I played at, uh, when I played it initially at uh, one of my friend's houses, um, she knew that I enjoyed it. And my dad had his own um, vinyl repair company, which means that they had to make their own invoices and stuff. So we had a big Xerox machine in the house. And she photocopied every single one of my uncle's books. Wow. Um, so, yeah. So all of my D&D books growing up were in giant three-ringed binders. Yeah. And it was the adv- the original advanced book. Um, so the original advanced handbook, the original advanced DM's guide, the second edition advanced dm's guide Mm -hmm. the fiend folio from the original and uh, one other supporting book i think it was uh, the monster's manual for for second ed nice all of them photocopied (laughs) bonkers uh do you have any that's a lot of paper yeah (laughs) we like three or four hundred papers we killed trees single page right like not not both sides guys um (laughs) So that's uh, yeah. also, like, what kind, like, like uh, I don't know. My mother is a very special Patient person. Woman, yeah. But how, like, she must have just checked out, <laughs> like, to do that. Because I, I didn't do it. I don't think anybody else in our house did it. It was totally her, but holy smokes. Um, so, yeah, just, you know, a little bit of, a little bit of gaming piracy for you. Um before I did it in video games. Um, so yeah, uh, Stu, let's let's swing back to you and talk about some of your favorite experiences with D and D. Oh, oh shoot! I, there was there were always a lot of interesting stories that would come and go. Um, but for me, some of the biggest, some of the, some of the best memories were ones that kind of left left the gaming room and took on a life of their own um so like the I, white dragon I, I yeah that kind of thing <laughs> um there was i think it was y2k uh i had a i had a just a ton of people over um and i i had 
been kind of GMing for different groups and everybody wanted to play a big game together. And so we had like fucking way too many players. And it was hysterical. It was just this one event that people actually still reference from time to time. Um, <sighs> I won't mention the person because I think you both know him as well. Uh, committed a few faux pas in the game and wound up as a, a paladin. He was playing a paladin, you know, the upright noble uh, paragon of right and justice and good. Uh, and he murdered an old man, an innocent oh. old man, uh, <laughs> because, oh, fuck, reasons. Yeah. Um, yeah. So at some point, one of the one of the other players playing a thief passed a note to me saying, I'm going to pin a note on the back of his, like, pin a, uh, put a sticky note on his back that just says, Foggy Killer. So that when he... <laughs> So that when he's walking around town, <laughs> people know to keep their distance. Well, um, so I, I passed around a note, you know, made everybody make kind of perception checks and and passed around two different notes to people. One of them said, okay, somebody just put a foggy killer sign on his back. And uh, one or two people got to see the other note in case they didn't make the check, which just said purple monkey dishwasher. <laughs> Wow, <laughs> and because the first few people I showed were was the actual thing, uh, they were howling. They they were in hysterics, and so when I showed Purple Monkey Dishwasher to other people, they felt compelled to laugh because there's this peer pressure that they don't know what's going on. They think it has to be funny, and so this illusion just was. Oh, it was just just a magical moment, and uh, I don't think he found out until. Like, it was almost a week later. Like, nobody was willing to tell him or break silence on on what that was all about for for quite a long time. And now people just, every now and then, call him Foggy Killer. <laughs> That's dark. <laughs> but also great. Um, and it, it's great. Okay, number one, it's great that you've had, um, you have a gaming circle that you you can still you know you can still reference that with mm-hmm. um because i have i have uh i mean I, I still talk to a few people from home but there's just because of like logistics and uh you know the, the shittiness of going through my 20s <laughs> and uh <laughs> like more more me than them like if, if we're being real like it's just the person i was at uh in my early 20s is not someone i would hang out with today um but uh yeah just um you know uh, it's good that you were able to hold on to those friendships and uh that you can still say purple monkey dishwasher or foggy killer and people know (laughs) what you're talking about yeah so that's awesome that's awesome and also i love how that harkens back to a time when just everything was a simpsons reference yeah (laughs) yep oh yeah we have been spoiled with many uh, adult-themed <laughs> television shows since. <laughs> um, cool. Well, uh, do you have any other stories of glory you want to share, quick, Stu, or do you want to move on to Dan? Um. Oh, th- if something else more hilarious comes up, I'm sure we'll fit it in. Cool. Yeah. I, I took it. my turn. Cool. Um, okay. Well, then, Dan, what? 
uh, is there anything you want to shine a light on right now? Uh, any any really good things that stand out, uh, either playing or storytelling for uh, for D anD D that you would like to discuss? There have um, there have been a a lot, and especially in the last like in the last few years, I've I've really gotten back into kind of. Um, running the game and for for anybody listening i will waffle between the terms gm and dm they're the same thing it's game master dungeon master it's it's all the same but um hmm. i there was a chunk of time in my in my 20s after i left university that i had decided that playing dnd as an adult was impossible because you couldn't schedule people and just it wasn't a thing, so I kind of hung up my hat and stopped. And it wasn't it wasn't until the last few years that I like got the kind of got the itch again, and I've been really diving back into it. But um, I think about um, like again, you talk about like the person you were in your early twenties. Like I, I'm not too fond of early twenties me either. Yeah. Um, and I think about like characters I played back then. Um, and lessons I learned back then, like, you know, I tried to run a game back then, and I ended up, like, with 9 or 10 or 11 players, which was way too many. Um, <laughs> trying to keep control of that, and then, like, at some point in that, I got, like, I ended up having my first ever girlfriend, and so she got into the game, and her kooky vision of what she wanted it to be kind of like took over because i was a fucking idiot um, yeah well because you're infatuated yeah, yeah like, um, but it, again like these are life lessons right? yeah. yeah um and uh so yeah but like i remember playing a character in um like uh you know back in school in the the spycraft games that were going on um clevent yeah yeah definitely clevent <laughs> um and this this was the first character i'd ever like i spent a summer writing this character and developing who he was and like he was disturbing to most people and to me it was it was an opportunity to kind of you know explore my dark side and explore like kind of my own like mental health issues and stuff like that but the character was was schizophrenic um and it it let me kind of weave into into some of the the darker stuff that I'd usually just have been like oh, well, I take medicine for this and that's fine, um, but one of my favorite things that came out and the, it's like you know I I that character did horrible horrible things to people I I that's um, why I remember and yeah I was involved in those campaigns I think I, I think a lot of people remember him for those reasons. <laughs> And my favorite thing that ever came out of that was years later, um, when I was sort of, I was courting someone who had in the past, like she was the ex of another person who had played in that campaign. And when she mentioned to him that she was considering dating me, he like flipped out. Because, and he started telling her about this character I played, and he was so convinced <laughs> that that was me. Right, yeah. That he's like, this stuff was so horrific, like, that guy's dangerous. <laughs> um, and I, like, uh, part of me took it as a compliment, like, 
if she had taken him seriously about that, I probably would have been a little more upset. But I was like, that's that's cool to know that I can I can impact people that that strongly. Um, but that's also kind of when I realized, like, also seeing the the GM of that game was a guy named Josh, who was such a dynamic storyteller, and that to me was the the first time I'd see seen a GM who wasn't just sitting at the table, like he was up on his feet all the time, and and acting scenes out and and getting so so into it, um, and that was like that's what I wanted to do. You know, it's like it, like that inspired me, and and knowing that I could have that kind of emotional impact on people, but also seeing that like this doesn't have to be a stationary thing. Um, that was huge, and so much of that I've brought into like what I run now, and now it's the points like every moment that I that I care about now is like a moment where you see. This is gonna sound dark, and it's it's not not the way I intended, but like when a player actually starts crying right. because of like something that happened that was so emotionally impactful. And it's not because like I, I haven't traumatized them, but like, you know, if their character has just gone in this arc, like, you know, and, I, and I've, I've had been lucky enough to have a few moments like that already as a, as a GM where, where you get people who are, have become so invested in this world um, that, it impacts them as emotionally as if it were happening in their own lives. Yeah. Um, what was interesting, like, uh, I, I, <laughs> I feel like we could do a whole episode on Josh, but I, I would rather we did it with his permission um, <laughs> yeah. and maybe his collaboration. Cause I know, like I still talk to him on a regular basis. So, um, but the, his, the ambition Okay, so there were a number of things that happened in university. I've talked about what Charlie tried to do with the vampire um, and how that just fell apart <laughs> so quick. And unfortunately, the same sort of fatigue and impossibility happened for for um, Josh's campaigns as well, right? He was trying to run, what, two or three different groups? Three. Um, One of them in a different city. Yeah, and it was just it was just un unsustainable um, to also be doing that and full time studies. And he graduated. Yeah, <laughs> right. Like not all of us could have even remotely pulled that off. I couldn't. Right. I barely graduated with uh, <laughs> with part time studies. Um, so it was, uh, gosh. But yeah. Um, when I think of a really, really good storyteller, um, the first person I think of is Josh and he is still doing it to this day. He's transitioned over to exalted. Um, and he has been in that system for over a decade and he loves it. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's just a little something for you guys to think about. Um, but, uh, <laughs> um, there is something, that happens with tabletop role-playing that does not come so quickly or so easily for say video games and it has so much to do with the personal nature of the game the intimacy of the storyteller and the player and just the amount of ma imagination required to even get to that point that a video game sort of doesn't allow 
like a, a video game sort of puts you in a box and you're in that box and it's very hard for that box to convince you that it's real sometimes because sometimes it's just a railroad and you're stuck on it and you know what movies are like that those railroads can take you to places that uh, that really sort of open you up and make you feel vulnerable and and give you the feels but it can happen so much more often in an RPG in a really well run RPG with a good story. Um, and it's, it's just, it's interesting to think about because some of the times that I have really lost myself in gaming wasn't playing a video game. It was playing an RPG. No, oh, like, like my mind would just, and <laughs> like it, it's happening recently. Cause I'm like, we're gearing up. Um, so my, like, I will just be sitting here and I should be doing something else. <laughs> 100% should be doing something else. Um, but, uh, but yeah, my mind is just like, it, it's going to, in all kinds of different directions, yeah. thinking about the histories, the personal inter interpersonal connections between, um, just the worlds that I'm creating. Cause we're, I'm gearing up to be like you said, GM, DM and my nomenclature, it's storyteller. Um, so like just trying to weave all of that together. Like I want to try, uh, I, well, we'll be able to discuss whether or not I accomplish it or not, but, mm -hmm. uh, try and just accomplish a, a fun story if nothing else. But, uh, yeah, I really, really like that you hammered that point. That is, that is a really, really good one. Uh, was there anything else you wanted to add before we shifted over to Chase's stories of glories, tales of fails? Um, yeah, I was, uh, I just, thinking a, a little more about how like you mentioned like video games we can get lost in them to an extent um but there is like there are limitations because every video game is held with a this there's a certain amount of data that is in this and th that's it like to make to be able to get a video game to truly be as open as like a tabletop RPG is you essentially would have to have a team of programmers working live at all times. Yeah, that's a good point. And yeah, like it, it's, it's cool when you see people have the realization or even when you have the realization yourself in this game that you really can try at least to do anything. Like there, you're, you don't have a list of dialogue options and you don't have like, you know, it's not an open world where eventually you run into an invisible wall because that's all we've made. Like, it's just eternal. Like, it's it's an infinite thing. And because of that, we're able to lose ourselves more. Um, and I think as well, because we're, we're in, in, because of that um, kind of undefined nature, um, we're able to actually develop these relationships between characters um, that they're it's very easy to get lost and then lose the line between like the facade of it and and the reality and it's uh, yeah it's just impactful in a way that, that nothing else has managed to achieve yeah well even just the open-ended nature of developing a character is like a thousand times more personal than playing a video game like when you're playing a video game it's always it's this character's story um and it may be compelling it might be it's sometimes emotional but it's not the same as like creating <clears throat> creating your own character from scratch and being invested in 
you know, every facet, every element of that character, uh, and then taking it on a journey through, you know, whatever open-ended, limitless world there is. Yeah. Um, hmm. <laughs> Just, I'm trying to think if I can add to that. I cannot right now without going into the, the what we learned. Um, so I think mm-hmm. I'll just, I'll get like a, a little bit of story of glory out of the way quick and then, uh, and it, it's actually a pretty good one and it, it'll actually lead right into what we learned. So maybe I'll hit on a few of what we learned and then I'll just turn it over to Stu and then we'll switch back to Dan again, if that's all right. Um, so I'm going to use, I've, I've been pretty blessed in, um, the situations where I could play D and D, uh, specifically like playing playing at Ryan's was great but it was sort of like getting the fundamentals of play um and learning a few things that I'll swing back to when I actually start talking about learning um I didn't really get my art my role-playing like stride until I started playing a few other types of games and then until I played I think it was D&D either fourth or it must have been fourth edition and um I was living with with our mutual friend Charlie at the time mentioned him a few times before. Um, he was so excited when fourth came along. Uh, he threw himself into it. He bought a bunch of the books and he ran a game and we were playing with one of our mutual friends, uh, Doug. And it was like, it was awesome. Uh, cause Doug is a seasoned storyteller. We already mentioned him earlier in this episode as like one of the people who probably pl- has played D and D for its entire run. Um, and, uh, yeah, he was also very excited to be in the game, but there was something that happened when Doug shifted from storyteller to, uh, to player character where he could sort of see what was going on in the seams and could kind of recognize the, the step-by-steps that, that, uh, Charlie was doing. And to be clear, Charlie is like both Charlie and Doug, very, very good storytellers. The thing is, Doug is like exceptional at also critiquing stories. Mm. So he is in Charlie's story. He's seeing how these, these wheels are turning and he's just like, okay, well, how we're going to solve this problem is we're just going to go to this guy. And all of us are just like, okay, well, you know what? Doug is the most educated dude, the PCs, because he was like a mage or something. So we're like, yeah, we'll just go with Doug. Where did Doug take us? The the main bad guy's base. Oh, <laughs> like boy. right away, right away, right away. And, <laughs> and Charlie's just like, oh, yeah, you're here now. Um, cool. Yeah. This guy offers you some stuff. Totally don't have any of this written up yet. Uh, you're here. (laughs) And it was just like one of those great game breaking moments where like, we never played that game again. Like Charlie (laughs) just stopped. Um, but, uh, yeah. So it's, it's interesting. It's a, it's a really delicate balance. Um, and you learn, so much like you learn i'm so grateful for the storytellers that i've had especially uh people like uh josh who was mentioned earlier because i made so many of those shitty early player character missteps like suggesting things that no person ever has any right to do ever like regardless of what your um 
uh, moral standing is like just and just because I was stupid, like stupid, stupid, stupid country boy. Um, hadn't really engaged with society yet. Uh, you know, sometimes you just say things <laughs> and, uh, wow, do I ever wish I could take back time, but thank God it was with, uh, people I could trust and, uh, we were just playing for fun because, oof, oof. <laughs> and I'm never going to say what it was that I suggested, <laughs> but, uh, but, um, that's, uh, you know, that's in the past. Uh, there is also just like whether you're being a storyteller, whether you're being being a player character, like understanding how to share the moment. A really good storyteller knows how to juggle um, the story between character to character, and so one character will be doing something, and the storyteller will know how to seamlessly shift. To the next character sometimes you will actually have uh, and Stu, i know that you sometimes get worried about this like this the stealth character is almost never with the rest of the party because they're busy being stealthy somewhere else um but a good storyteller can deal with that a good storyteller can be like okay well you're making this you know uh lock check roll we're just going to shift over these people see what they're doing once they're done that come back to the stealth guy um and if you know how to do that it's a very valuable thing uh, and not everybody can do it. Uh, and it takes practice and it takes a lot, a lot, a lot of being a collaborative uh, player character and being an adaptable storyteller. But um, this is stuff that if you play long enough, you just sort of get. And um, also like patience is just such a big thing. And if you don't have it when you're playing wow, do other player characters notice? And it, it sort of bugs them. Um, because uh, it's supposed to be a shared space and it's supposed to be collaborative. Um, I think one of the last things I want to hit on before <clears throat> I shift over to, uh, to the two of you is just the importance of watching a group achieve cohesion. And what I mean by that is Dungeons and Dragons, but also most role-playing games, it's very rare that you're going to see a lot of overlap unless people do it intentionally. Usually people will choose different races, different classes with different skill sets. But sometimes it takes a while for people to figure out, oh, this person can do this, so I don't need to be worrying about that. Um, I can actually depend on this person to do it. And that often depends on that person being dependable. Which can be rare, <laughs> depending on who your player characters are. Um, but watching a team just get it. And then suddenly those sessions that took maybe an hour longer than they really needed to because everybody was just double guessing what it was that they should do in that moment. When they finally figure out what they're doing and that they can just trust the other people to do their job. And it happens and the adventure just like it just ties up and it's just like wow that that just happened we just cleared that dungeon everything was awesome um that is just such a golden moment sometimes it only happens once a story um but if you run like long 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 campaigns once a group gets used to each other it can just be consistent and it is just so cool to see and uh 
I don't, the only other time I've ever seen anything quite like it, I think it was in WoW. WoW and a little bit in EVE, but I didn't play enough of EVE to actually see it, where, like, people who really knew their job were good at it and performed exactly the way that, that you would expect them to, but more importantly, you had faith in them. Um, yeah, that doesn't always happen. And it only happens in specific types of games. But that's what I got. So, Stu, what's up? Um, I'm, 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 I guess the, the two things I want to say that tie in directly to what you were saying is um, that the, the collaboration, um, I worry a lot less about the um, sharing the microspace of like dealing with this person's turn and, you know, they're away from the party right now and they're doing a thing and then, okay, back to this group and deal with them for a bit. Like you can kind of just gauge players uh, reactions and moods and when they're getting impatient and that kind of thing. Um, and it, it, for me, it, it's more difficult making sure that all the players are m like cohesive on the macro level. And that's something that people shoehorn in a lot. But I find when players are super invested in their characters, it can sometimes be difficult to make sure that everyone in your party actually has the same goals. And th that... Uh, as as soon as one of the players uh, goes along with a party decision in order to keep the party together, when it's kind of disingenuous to what their character was doing, uh, that really pulls that player out and kind of shatters everything for them because there's like it's almost like a cognitive dissonance uh, that just kind of breaks the illusion sort of thing. Um, uh, and the other thing, oh, the team thing. Yeah, this is one of the best things to take away. Uh, it's really hard to find a group to play with. Not <laughs> that's not, uh, that. We, I'm yeah, I, I'm yeah. surprised I didn't touch on that. But like, yes, like that is big. Yeah, not even just getting older and people have lives and people have kids and we all have shit to do and nobody has time to get together and and spend as much time role playing as we used to. But even just when you do have the time having a group of people that do gel like that and i was happy that you brought up things like wow because it's that same kind of teamwork because i found there's a big uh, similarity between that and my experience playing soccer where it's that degree of teamwork of having a role doing a thing depending on people knowing the quirks that people that are going to bring in the way that they play <laughs> This you know. guy's going to be mildly racist. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, that kind of thing. Uh, I didn't play with a lot of racist soccer players, but it does come up sometimes. <laughs> uh, uh, I have stories, um, but I can't tell them on this podcast. Well, that's fair. Um, but, but yeah, that, that kind of... Those elements, yeah, I, I agree, are are very rewarding as well, and it's uh, it it's neat as well when you have a solid group of players, and they go through a game together, and then whatever the party gets wiped out, or people decide to change games, or you know somebody switches out with a game master or whatever, um, and even when people roll a new set of characters, there's still like there's an overarching element of of teamwork that can still still kind of be there like the foundation i guess that's 
foundations rarely over arc, but in this case they do, goddammit. And the, found- <laughs> the foundation for that teamwork is kind of already there and it builds up so quickly again. It, it's it's really refreshing. It's it's a really cool thing. It's kind of like, it's a really unique experience to build a role-playing team. Yeah, and I, I think to sort of build on that, and this is this is something that's really cool, when you get into a group of people and you are comfortable role-playing with them, you've done it a few times, and you, you don't usually see this unless it's with groups of people that have played with each other for a few years. Like, people really start to become comfortable experimenting. And that is where you start to see, like, people will take vastly divergent motivations from each other yeah. and they will play it out and they will give other people in the party the time to to actually do the stuff that they want to do and they will let it play out but then they will also actively engage those those players if they do something that is against their own morality and i'm like it won't because everybody sort of understands by that point that the game is for everybody to get together at some point and, and like form a team like, they won't kill each other, but it's, like, it'll be sort of like an odd fellows kind of situation where, like, they're yeah, always yeah, bickering, yeah. and eventually when things really matter, they just put all the cards down and they, they work things out. But, like, that's something that doesn't work right away with a brand new group of people yeah. because sometimes, like, uh, feelings get hurt and you just have to be... You have to be considerate. Um, but once you get comfortable with people, you can really experiment and really just sort of grow as a player character. And that, that doesn't always happen in new groups, but it's really awesome to see in older groups that have played with each other for a while. Yeah, there's... um, I mean, there's an easy place to see it, too, at this point with um, like kind of the emergence of Critical Role. Um, that's That's been huge. And it's like even when that show started the group that plays on it had already been playing that campaign for two years yep um and like if you want to see a group that's gotten good in in the the sense of like gelling with each other and everything like you know that 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 campaign goes on to points later where like intent like uh, motivations do diverge and one character like leaves the party for a while just gone and he bring the player brought in a different character for a bit, and it was it was really cool to see. Um, and uh, I think that's that's been a cool example of how to show people what this game can be. But it's also been a bit of a double edged sword because there are a lot of people who see that, and then when they try it, they're disappointed that it's not like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it like, can't always be the the fairy tale. Yeah, it's finish. Like, you have to remember experience version. This is a group of professional actors playing an improv game with each other. Yeah, after doing it for two years off camera already, so it's yeah, that is is what it is. But um... yeah, okay. Um, so then, Stu, did you have anything else to say, or would you like to shift over into uh, what Dan? Dan has learned. Oh yeah, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> you go ahead, Dan. You go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Um, so I mean, the, the I think the obvious thing for this one is is 
is just learning some basic social capabilities. Um, That's important, though, and mm -hmm. it's something that I feel like like uh, there are. It's becoming less prominent in most multiplayer games. Like, and by multiplayer games, I mean multiplayer video games. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's this is a game that forces you to to work out a situation with people all who have varying motivations and goals and like it's it's the ultimate team building exercise right like um and you know i was i was an awkward and depressed young man um and i i brought a lot of that into the game when i started with it and you know the for better or worse, but eventually you start to realize that it's like, you know, if you try to be, if you want to just keep being this off-putting loner in the corner, that's how they're going to treat you. Like, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, uh, everybody wants to be Strider, but Strider's a loser. <laughs> like he's just, <laughs> he's chilling in the corner smoking and looking angry and it's like let's not go with that guy let's go with the wizard with the fireworks um and it's you know it it, it brought me out of my shell quite a bit i was uh you know i was a pretty pretty timid person for a lot of my life and uh this got me doing things in front of people that i never thought i'd do um, we'll leave, Sorry, we'll, leave I, that as, I, we'll leave that as open ended no, as you like. Tina Turner just came into my head. I was like, I'm your private dancer. <laughs> money. Yeah, sorry. It's what you do in your personal time is your business. Yeah, it's okay. It's, no, it's okay. Um, and it's cool that you're out of your shell, man. I, I, Live. I be proud it. out of your shell. Yeah. yeah. That's Tina Turner. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, where the hell was I going with that? Um, Thunderdome, probably. Probably. <laughs> I know at least two men will enter, but I'm not sure about the coming out part. Oh, boy. Um, but uh, it also, I mean, it teaches me so much from, like, it, it's taught me so much just from a writing standpoint and a storytelling standpoint, like how characters naturally develop, how to make stories more interesting. Um like there's so many little things where it's like especially as in gming this game i can look at challenges that i want to give my players and i can say like yeah they you can go to the you can go to this temple you can get this jewel and you can come back done or like do i introduce complications every step of the way and then like further stack complications on those complications so that the entire experience of something as simple as go to the place, get the thing and come back has become like an ordeal that as a gaming group took us months to, to overcome. Um, there's, there's a lot to be, to be said for how, uh, you can, you can learn to properly kind of write stories and, and tell interesting and engaging um stories just from doing this it's uh it's also i mean like it's it's 
also kind of like very improv heavy, right? Like one of the things they'll say to to GMs is learn the yes and game. Like don't say no to things. Try to try to find a way to let the players do whatever they want to do and then modify it. Um and it were complicated or, or what have you. But I, I think back to like, you know, little short stories or, or chapter ones of unfinished novels that I would have written back in my like teens and twenties. And think about how like kind of paltry and and petty everybody's actions and motivations were. There was no depth to anything. Um and I've learned so much of that just from just from playing this game it's mm. um it's really incredible like yeah man i so i'm never going to pretend to be a great storyteller um until somebody tells me that i am uh <laughs> and even then i'll just be like oh you stop um <laughs> Um, and, uh, then I'll say thank you and then I'll just pretend it never happened. Um, but, uh, there, I don't know. And I feel like it, it really, I don't know if it's just, I've, I've sort of been around, I've experienced more things, but when I go to create NPCs now, uh, there are two things I'm thinking about. Number one is, are you guys going to kill them quickly? And does it matter? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but also number two is, uh, just like when when I create an NPC now, especially one that I want to have a little bit of significance, so even if you kill them, like there is a family tree, right? Like there's there are interconnections. Like this person exiting the story in a way in a forceful, violent way gets noticed, and that's something that's really important. Um, life shouldn't be cheap even in a setting where it is right even in a setting where people die every day those things still get noticed by someone mm-hmm. um and every single action should have a reaction and i'm not saying that you should penalize your player characters every step of the way but i'm saying if your characters are really into casual murder that should probably catch up to them at some point um and like it's important to sometimes hit your player characters with the realization that, oh, that was a person. They had family. This is going to have implications that will rock that entire group of people. Um, Just to sort of, you know, just to sort of knock them out of their regular feel and their regular play. Like, I'm not, I'm not trying to be a downer. I'm just trying to, to stipulate that like that sometimes it's cool to play the thief when you're not really thinking about uh, the implications of it. But sometimes it's, it's a good storyteller move to also just sort of shine light on what those actions have done. So like if you're stealing jewels from like a slave dealing, horrible bureaucrat, that doesn't feel so bad. But if you're stealing jewels from, I don't know, like a, a middle-class family that doesn't really have a lot and those jewels were going to go towards a dowry that was going to maybe help them in the long run, um, that's that's a very significant difference. Um, and maybe you have a character who would never think about that anyway, but maybe that character has another player character with them who is just like, dude, that's shitty. <laughs> like... <laughs> Um, 
and it's it, it there there are so many ways to add layers of depth and just personality but also like realism into into these stories that I never would have even thought of like I would say 10 years ago when I was playing in my 20s this is not stuff that I would have really cared about but it's stuff that good storytellers our age back then were already doing um yeah it it and it's a couple of things that that tabletop rpgs do that very few other games can it's it's that teaching people creativity and critical thinking like you need to be able to to on the fly understand something um add something to it remove something from it be creative you have to think outside the box because there is no box and (laughs) and then what is that actually going to do what what are the ramifications of that what is the long term or medium term or even short term like yeah, it's it's a good exercise. That's I mean the whole way a character is developed it, out, out, even outside of in in anything in in literature and movies even in video games like characters are developed by taking actions facing the consequences of those actions and then changing accordingly. Like they have to learn from consequences in order to develop. That's that's the whole point of a character um and i think that's that's a huge lesson that that i think in running these games everyone gets to like hopefully at different times but hopefully everybody gets there (laughs) because giving giving players consequences to their actions and and you're correct not to punish them but just to say like this is where if you wanted the story to go to a, a place where you're killing a bunch of innocent people well, these these people live in cities and have families, and there are like police forces in these cities that are going to stop you now. And it may be that this campaign that originally was supposed to be like you know it, maybe it was to go fight some evil lich, but maybe now you're just in prison. And this is where we do the campaign, and you deal with the politics of prison. Yeah. And and like and then the lich destroys the world later on because <laughs> i mean they won't because there's always there's the point is there's always heroes to to, to yeah. stop them but i think um one of the big mistakes you can make at a gm as a gm is writing your ending is is having any putting any idea of how this is, game is going to end i was like you mentioned that oh, game yeah. with charlie and doug before um yeah and that that was a mistake like like having (laughs) having this like this is the bad guy and like doug i know doug i've played a game run by charlie with doug and (laughs) doug is exactly the guy who's going to say no (laughs) i see what you're doing i'm gonna go make friends with your big villain now um and that's i think the real the real thing is like as a gm the most you can do is just lay out the world and lay out like I mean, it, it don't write the whole world either. Like write a chunk of it that they're going to be in, and if they start to veer towards somewhere that you haven't prepared, throw a complication in their way, get that out of the way in the session, and then write like hell for the next week. But, <laughs> yeah, um, sounds about right. Yeah, but the, that's like you have to be able to let them do, make the choices they want. Because if they can do them and you can you can give them the proper consequences for those, they're going to, to feel like their character is going to feel like they're developing just as much as themselves. Yeah. And yes. that's how you get that that like totally 
deep personal connection to this and that's agency right that is agency the 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 suggestion that you gave the yes and every storyteller should be a sort of a yes and type of uh, response that is so so important because the second you start saying no like just flat out no to your characters you start or, and by characters i mean your players you start souring them yeah right um in it's it's really easy and I've seen it happen a few times, and maybe I'm even guilty of it. Um, I've done it once or twice, I think, uh, where, like, the carrot and the stick, uh, you almost always use the carrot, and you just make sure that the string's long enough that they just keep walking. <laughs> because <laughs> because then it gives you time to build that part of the world. Um, or they just keep digging a hole, and then the rest of the campaign is them trying to get out of it, as you said, yeah, like, yeah. in prison. Um but I have I have actually been in situations where where I sort of did a hard stop no, um, and it was wrong, right? I shouldn't have done it, uh, and I knew uh, right away like uh, players were soured, um, and it was just uh, it was a mistake. Like uh, the, it should have just been a yes. Things would have continued on. It just would have been a little bit different, um, but it would have been interesting, and people would have been satisfied. Yeah. Um, Within reason, uh, there are certain things that people might suggest in game that, uh, as an adult now, I would probably say, still say no. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, but... like if someone tries to say, "Can I jump off the planet into space?" and it's like, even at that point, I, I love the phrase, "You can certainly try." Yeah, but you know, like it's it's not gonna happen. Right. There, there are there are still limitations of of physics <laughs> in this world we're trying to create. Yeah, the phrase you can certainly try is actually very important because mm-hmm. uh, it's better than saying no. It's always better than saying no. Um, yeah, so, uh, wow. I yeah, I was so tempted, so tempted to steer it back to Game of Thrones, but I didn't. I'm so good. Okay, um, cool. Was there <laughs> anything else you wanted to add, Dan? Um, I, I'm sure there's a million things. Like, if you let me just ramble for two hours like I'll, I'll touch on all of them eventually but <laughs> yeah we all would I think <laughs> um in this moment like I, I think it's I think it's a thing that that everybody should try because everybody gets something, something different, different, out of it. different out of this game yeah. and while yes finding groups can be tricky at times it is easier now to find a group to play this game than it has ever been yeah. by leaps yep. and bounds like the popularity of this this game is is unreal yeah mm-hmm. um when i think back to like you know kid me who had <laughs> 90s yeah when i think <laughs> like, like 90s 2000s my dad's yeah. D books and no friends to play it with or mm-hmm. a, a, like i i still have my old copy of hero quest oh, and what a great game. all of the player sheets are filled out by me <laughs> Yep, and nobody yep. else. <laughs> like... I, there's nothing wrong with that. You could play that game by yourself. It's fine. I'm not judging you. I never did. Um, I just made the party, and that was satisfying. <laughs> okay. Well, hey, you know what? Sometimes character design is the most satisfying part. Yeah. Um, it is... <laughs> wow. Um, okay. Mm. But yeah, there's so, yeah, you keep going. there's tons of resources everywhere. I mean. I even like I, I live very close to a board game cafe, and almost every night 
I see maybe three different games of D&D happening on at tables there like and it's it's you know there's there are so many places um for people to get together and meet and meet people and there's website resources for people to meet other players and stuff like that and you know sometimes you're not going to find the perfect group and if you don't find a group you gel with it's okay you don't have to play with that group you find another group they're out there um this is i, I think the the easiest time to get into this game at this point uh, it's awesome yeah yeah i i would agree uh Stu, is there anything else you want to add uh, if you have been playing for a while, <laughs> yes, I would like to add ba da ba ba ba. Musical interlude. He's just going to start scatting. Um, uh, for those of you who have been playing, jumping into the game is definitely easiest to be a player uh, and have a, a player character rather than be the uh, dungeon master or game master or storyteller or whatever you want to call it. But if you have been a player for a long time and you've never been a GM, try it for a session. Or at least just think about trying it for a session and see uh, see, kind of what that takes. They're very, very different beasts. We, we often, I guess the three of us have like played in a lot of games and run a lot of games. And so um, we're kind of speaking about it in a, a very general, kind of rounded, well-experienced uh, kind of way and I th- I think that playing and running are obviously very very different experiences so if you have only played uh, think about running something even just like the next time e- even if you're in a session constantly uh, maybe talk to your group about just doing a one shot or something and just just see what you get out of it it's uh, it's really it's a different kind of beast it's really neat Definitely. Um, If I can add to that point too, actually one of the best pieces of advice I ever, I ever heard. um, And it might've come from, from Matt Colville on his, uh, on his YouTube series, but um, it was, if you're GMing, if you generally tend to be like the career GM or you're, you're, you're only ever running games, you should be trying at, at least like, semi-regularly to play in games too um if only like for one part for your the sake of your own sanity because running the games is a lot of work um and just so you never forget how it feels to be a player there's there are certain frustrations that come with being a player um and having you know gms who have to make all these decisions on the fly but having them make decisions um like like the one you mentioned chase where you know you did have done a hard no there's you know players would be unhappy with that and i think it's important as a gm to remember what the player state of mind is um and it helps you kind of tune yourself to that a little more a little more easily i think nice uh nice Actually, I, I do. I do enjoy that advice a lot. Um, so here, here's what I'm thinking. Uh, number one, um, the things that you're going to learn playing D&D uh, are transferable. There are a lot of skills. Uh, actually, I'll restart that. Approaching any tabletop RPG looks hard. Uh, traditionally, these are big books filled with rules. 
um, and they're not always easy to approach. The really cool thing about tabletop RPGs is number one, you have a storyteller who hopefully knows the rules. I hope so. <laughs> um, but, yeah, yeah. But uh, but but number two, these are things you are going to learn through play, and once you actually start chucking the dice. Um, once you actually start trying to perform tasks in game, it all becomes a lot more clear and it all becomes a lot more easier. And the more you do it, the easier it becomes. And more importantly, if you have a good storyteller, it's all fun. Um, and so what ends up happening is you end up internalizing a very complex set of rules and enjoying it. And that is not something that is easy, but games make it easy and fun. And that's, uh, if that isn't the point of this show, I don't know what is. That's sort of what we've been trying to get at for quite some time. Um, and there's something about tabletop RPGs that, and specifically D&D that does it better than some video games um i mean video games it's in front of you and it can be intuitive so like playing mario you're never going to get that from an rpg um but it's a different kind of fun right like it's not the same kind of agency that you're going to get um in a tabletop rpg uh but also it's comparing apples to a Nintendo system. <laughs> so, uh, it, it, it doesn't 100% work. Um, but, uh, specifically like the skills that you learn playing in D and D you can carry over to any other system. The, the, the core things are true. You will have to make a character, um, having a solid understanding of that character will take you a long way and having a base understanding of the rules will help you play the game. The, the rest you sort of have to lean on the storyteller for, but like also all of those interpersonal social th- skills that you learn from that last game, if it's a completely new group, just try them out, see what works, see what doesn't work, and hold on to the things that are important or the new things that you learn. Like it's, it really is sort of an interesting, it's an interesting kind of play. And I'm happy to hear that it's it's so popular now because it used to be so fringe and like occasionally looked down upon <laughs> sort of book burning style if you lived in <laughs> Sue's part of the woods. Um, and it I would say that as a parent, I would rather see my son grow up to play D&D than... I mean, who knows what type of video games he's going to be playing by the time he's he's my age. But, like, I would rather see him playing D&D and creating characters and being, like, so creative. But also being able to integrate and be cohesive with a group of other people than see him screaming profanities into his headset playing a first-person shooter. So, you know, just kind of take that for what it's worth. Um, I'm not saying that... I'm a well-adjusted individual or any better than anybody who screams into a headset. But, um, you know, I, I feel like actually having some critical thinking skills and having a little bit of ma- imagination could go a long way. And, uh, yeah, I think that's kind of kind of all I got to say about that. Anybody else have any closing thoughts before we shift into the next part of the show? Anybody want to say anything else just to close off? I think that was well summarized. 
Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so, now, so now we get into now we get into the sad part of the show, which is what you can teach us. I did check our email. You can't teach us much. I mean, no, honestly, people can teach us a lot if they email in, but it's uh, it's not happening, which is okay because we have kind of a sporadic release schedule. And um, also a mild delay between uh, us getting your email and then us reading your yeah, email. It's only like um, six and a half months or something like that. <laughs> it's about, I think it's about three or four right now. Um, so not a big deal. But uh, hey, if you like us, if you want to engage with us, if you want to share your opinions with us, do not be afraid. Just email us at learnfromgamingpodcast at gmail.com. That's learnfromgamingpodcast at gmail.com. And tell us your thoughts. Uh, do you like what we're doing on the show? Do you not like what we're doing on the show? We'd like to know. And this is what this section is for. Um, so now we're going to get into our next section, which is what we've been playing. I'll just get my stuff out of the way quick, and then we can talk about what everybody else is playing. Um, so still playing Langriser on mobile device. It is a gotcha turn-based strategy game um and wow am i still enjoying that i still do all the dailies because i'm a loser uh (laughs) but it's i don't know there's not a lot of games like it right now that are that high quality the only thing that comes close and i've already mentioned this before is fire emblem heroes Mm -hmm. but uh Mm -hmm. langriser has more customization and um I think your your party's larger uh so you get like one more person that you can have in your party so it's uh yeah I'm enjoying it. Um, next up, here, let's see if I have anything to drink left, because I'm going to choke. Mm. Oh, that's nice. Okay. Um, Chocobo Dungeon. Uh, everybody on Nintendo Switch. It's a Chocobo Dungeon, or Mystery Dungeon game, and it's great. Uh, I'm enjoying it. If you like Chocobo Dungeon games, or Chocobo Mystery Dungeon games, there's a bunch. Just look them up on YouTube. You'll figure out pretty quickly if it's uh, the type of game for you. Uh, I think I told you about this one last time, Stu. It plays a lot like uh, Crypt of the Necrodancer, um, in that when you move, they move. Um, and, uh, yeah, I dig it. It's good. Um, played a little bit more Monster Hunter World, got rocked by... Rathalos? Yeah, it was Rathalos. God damn, I hate that. Um, I don't have good uh, I don't have good armor right now, and that Wyvern beat the crap out of me last time I tried to take it on. I've got a slow-moving weapon this time around, like a sl- slow-moving, fa- uh, hard-hitting weapon, and Rathalos spends a lot of time in the air, and that's not good for me. <laughs> I got I caught on fire a lot. Yeah. Um played some more minion master with you Stu. that was fun uh-huh. um what a funky little game i, I kind of want to talk to you I, or i want you to talk about it um so i'll just sort of let you talk about it because i've already sort of given my opinion on it um but uh, the other game that i've been playing again is dragon ball fighters and it's just because i watched the the broly movie the dragon ball super broly movie where uh, everybody gets their butt kicked by Broly, and by everybody I mean Goku, Vegeta, and Frieza. Frieza shows up in that one. It's actually kind of funny. Um, they use him as a distraction. This this is not a big spoiler, but they use him as a distraction, and it's a really shitty thing to do. But Frieza's a shitty guy, so he earned it. Um, so Dragon Ball Fighters was just uh, just such a great little relief. What's crazy is how many fighters they've released lately, and it's all just DLC. 
I guess I shouldn't mm. be surprised because uh, Mortal Kombat 11 sort of did the same yeah, thing yeah. where there's just all these microtransactions and things that you can buy. Um, but it's, 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 yeah, it's, I guess it's the new way to do fighters is just, hey, here are some new fighters that you could play if you pay money. Also, I don't think there's any way to unlock them any other way. Yeah. <laughs> um, which is okay because, um, the triple A fighters that are coming out are triple A for a reason. Um, Dragon Ball Fighters is an exceptionally good game. Um, it's accessible, but it's also a slick and beautiful fighter. And if you like Dragon Ball, uh, in particular, it is such a good homage. Um, and it, it is hands down the best, uh, Dragon Ball fighting game I've ever played. And I've played a lot of Dragon Ball games. I've also played a lot of fighters. So yeah, that's my opinion and I'm sticking to it. Yeah, I think I um, so, I think I actually remember playing Budokai Tenkaichi with you back in university. <laughs> oh my god. Uh the best the best uh Dragon Ball Fighter game that I played prior to that was uh um I think it was Budokai 2 on either PlayStation or it could have even been it wasn't GameCube. It had to be PlayStation 2. Um, but it was a 2D one because the next game that they released was either Budokai 3 or Budokai Tenshi, which was the, uh, the 3D world one. Yeah. And the th- 3D, uh, map one was not as good, but, uh, the likelihood of you and I playing any Dragon Ball game is pretty good <laughs> because, because I love me some Dragon Ball. Um, but yeah, uh, that's all I got to say about that, I think. That's all I got. So, Stu, you want to go and then let Dan go? All right. Uh, I don't know if I mentioned Risk of Rain last time, Risk of Rain 2, but... Uh, been, I'm so bad at that been game. Playing it, like, so bad at that game. A little bit off and on uh, with a couple of people. Um, yeah. I was I'm, much I'm, better at number I'm one. I'm kind of waiting for artifacts to come out. It's, uh, it's neat. It's fun. Uh... I'm surprised it captured the feeling really well. Like, it feels like Risk of Rain, even though it's 3D instead of 2D. They they managed to capture the, the essence of the first one quite well, uh, which I was, yeah, pretty surprised and delighted by. Um, but yeah, I've also been playing some Minion Masters. I probably have a little bit more time clocked into that than Risk of Rain 2. Um, and I have been enjoying it. Um I've mostly been playing 2v2s. Yeah, so you don't have so the I same don't... level of responsibility. Yeah, so that I, I... Yeah, if I lose, it's obviously not my fault. Yeah, uh, clearly. <laughs> but, um, no, it, it's good. It's been interesting. Um, there are... Right now, there's a... Well, when I started, I don't know, playing a couple of weeks ago, there was a specific meta that was kind of top shelf... Uh, and it's changed a little bit because the card got changed. But it's, so it was interesting in that in playing in twos, there were a couple of ways you could kind of get around this this big top meta build. Uh, it was like you had to kind of get lucky. They had to play it really poorly. And since it was a three card trifecta that would just kind of win. Now one of those three has been changed and people are just playing the two. There are a lot of people trying to play the three together or only playing two of the three 
and Stu, I play the game. Tell me what the cards are. <laughs> it's the the Stormy Priestess Guardian. Yeah, yeah, okay, yes. Uh, so that's changed, and a lot of people now are playing like Stormy Priestess Priestess or that kind of thing. And it's fascinating because you can drastically tell the difference between players who are doing that and were also good at the game and have adjusted versus the players who are playing that because they are shit at the game and now they don't know what to do. <laughs> and it fair. is hilarious when you find those players. Yeah. You just put a couple guys down and if you kill them, they actually just do the GG emote and you steamroll them. Wow. It's, it's hilarious. It's been, it's been hysterical the last week or so. Yeah, I want to get some more time in that uh, game. I like that it's it's short. It's yes. such short yeah. rounds. Anywhere from like roughly one minute. It's really rare. Like maybe one in twenty matches or something will go to five minutes. I had a six. I had a six minute thirty second yeah. game once. Yeah, and that was Uncommon. rare. Yeah, yeah. It's neat. It's neat. It's fun. It's fun. I like it. There's enough like weird stuff, especially playing two v twos. There's enough. There are enough cards and weird builds and strengths and weaknesses to a bunch of the different cards that you can kind of get away with anything, as long as you're playing stuff semi intelligently. Yeah, as long as you know what you're doing. Yeah. Like it, it takes practice, but it comes it comes pretty quickly, yeah. especially if you're like a veteran. I guess the best way to describe it is like almost it's it's interchangeable with magic, right? So like um, same sort of concepts. Yep. It's just now you also have to think about it in real time, so you have to react faster. Yeah, um, it's still very like very uh, intricate rock paper scissors. Yeah. Yeah. You've been playing anything else? I don't. I don't think so. Have I? Okay, Have cool. I? All right. No, nope. I, I no, that's that's pretty much it. You. Yep. <laughs> okay. I don't know cool. what I've been up to lately. I don't know what I do. Um. Okay. Cool. Well then, uh, Dan, what have you been playing lately? Um. I mean, like since the last time I appeared on the show, or yeah. Okay. Let's see. It started at. <laughs> um. Well, it was uh, Montezuma's Revenge on the Apple II Plus. Oh. Oh, there we go. I had that we're, start, we're starting off. Yeah, yeah that was a yeah. wicked fun game. Deep cuts. Um, but uh, so, I don't know, in the last little bit, I've been like, I've been really craving the, the like, rip my heart out, blow my mind kind of game that I got a couple years ago, like when I played, I think, Lisa and Undertale in the same year. Um, and both of those just just annihilated me and I've been Lisa Lisa was incredible like I I have never seen anything like it Um, and like I mean I I think back to like you know uh, other games that have had that much impact on me like, like Red Dead Redemption had that impact and Shadow of the Colossus when I first played that had that that impact and I've been really craving that even though it's you know like the games like that come every they they come when they come like you know they're much like much like the winds of winter they will arrive when they arrive (laughs) Um, (laughs) kind of like a dragon to (laughs) (laughs) um 
But, uh, yeah, so, I mean, like, um, Stu turned me on to uh, Return of the Oberdin, which was a really spectacular little experience. I'm sure he's spoken on this show about it before. Um, yes, he, he recently did a review of it, so, yeah. Yeah, it was, um, it was really, really excellent. I, I, uh, I, I loved the process of going through it and kind of figuring out what happened, though I did find myself, like, once I had gotten the, like, the true ending and everything, I did find myself kind of like, well, okay. Um, <laughs> like yeah. the, Fair enough. Um, yeah. I wasn't left, like, shattered or anything, right? Um, yeah. And, like, I, I've also been playing a little bit of Minion Masters, and it's... It's like I, I've been having as much fun, but once once I get into the part where I have to start actually thinking about the meta, games like that stop being interesting to me. Um, and uh, Risk of Rain 2, I was enjoying, um, but also was playing that with Stu, and Stu played it a lot more than me, and has just rocketed out of my capability level. <laughs> and, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I also, I mean, I suffered from a big loss when that, when that, in the transition to 3D because I have shit object permanence. Um, so while Risk of Rain being a 2D game, I am exceptionally good at Risk of Rain 2. I, I will be mediocre for as long as I live. Um, I have the same problem with stealth games. Like, if they're 2D, I'm great at them. If they're 3D, I'm just trash. Um, uh, I did play Oxenfree recently. Was it your first time? Yeah. Um, okay, yeah, I've never played it, but I've heard that. Yeah, yeah, it was, um, a really, a really good experience. Like, I mean, as far as, I should, I'm not going to start that sentence over because it's going to sound bad, but... Um, like it's a horror game in in essence like it, it, it deals with horror themes and there are a couple moments that are a little spookier than than your traditional uh, game but for the most part it's it's a choose your own adventure like it's choose your dialogue paths and kind of go to things in the order that you go to them and and like do it like there's no particular challenge to the game um accepting that your uh response times when your dialogue options come out they you've got maybe five seconds and they fade out and if you don't click anything then you just chose to say nothing and mm. it registers that option for everything I, I believe there's actually an achievement for doing the whole game without saying a word <laughs> um but uh yeah that was that was really cool um, and like I, I mentioned earlier, I started playing The Witness again, and that is continuing to be an absolutely beautiful but ultimately frustrating experience. Um, but I mean, <laughs> if if you want to see a game that really that you really learn from, like that that game teaches you how to play it in the most elegant way I've ever seen. Um, just piece by piece, it teaches you the patterns and you you get there like it, it takes you along with it and it's really uh kind of stunning from that from that perspective mm -hmm. 
but that's all I've been I've really been playing like I would like to play Red Dead 2 I would really like to play Sekiro at this point um but I don't have money <laughs> and those things cost money and I'm not you'll be pleased to know if you wait long enough they will get cheaper <laughs> yeah in theory the, that's the that's the going theory but uh I, you know I can't get my mom to photocopy me Sekiro um no that's fair. yeah it is not the 90s. Also, trees. <laughs> also, it is a disc. <laughs> yes. A photocopy of Sekiro oh. would not be uh, as fun. Mm. <laughs> no, you're right. You're right. You're right. I was just, yeah. There's there's a lot of pages, I, I expect. Yeah. Um, okay, well, cool. Well, I wish you luck on the... Uh, the money front um, and the fun front and the playing games front um, but uh, yeah I, it, that's that's all you got right yeah I, I, I mean I'll <laughs> okay. occasionally reach out on Facebook to people and ask like what's some what's a game that absolutely blew your mind and I'm getting to this problem where every answer that I get I'm like played it played it played it played it played it I'm like there has to be something something exceptional that I haven't played yet but well, I will be honest, that is not a bad problem to have. That means you are well-versed I, I think, in gaming lore. I, th- I think I would put forth Daikatana. Oh, wow. That is a horrible suggestion. <laughs> it will blow it's your mind. It's an experience. Like, we've played it. <laughs> yeah, we have. I still have, I have a hard copy of it, like an inbox copy of that game just as a never forget wow there you go there you go okay well you know what i think i think maybe we're gonna my dog just got up which is a uh a symbol what is the symbology (laughs) it's a symbolism yes uh yeah it's a sign it's a sign that uh maybe we should bring this guy to a close so um i think we're gonna do that so I'm going to start off by saying uh, thank you, the audience, for taking the time to listen. Yeah. Um, and uh, all of us here hope that you enjoyed yourselves. Um, so, Stu, I'm going to start with you. Do you have anything you want to plug this uh, this episode to the audience out there? Uh, anything that you do that you want them to know about? Not at this point. Anything that anybody else does that you want them to know about? I, I've consumed nothing recently, so no. <laughs> That's fair. I barely consumed air. Um, cool. Dan, is there anything you would like to plug either for yourself, social media, any of that jazz, or um, for other creators that you would like to promote? Um, nothing really for myself, but uh, I want to take a sec to plug um, my, my favorite little game shop, um, which is located in, uh, in Burlington, Ontario. Um, it's a place called uh, Torchlight Games and Hobbies, and they uh, I, I have been running a D&D campaign there for a little while, and they make a point of, like, paying GMs at the store to, like, just pay them a little bit, which I think is awesome. Uh, it's, uh, that is it's awesome. It's normally a pretty thankless job, and I, I like the idea of, like, players tossing 10 or 20 bucks for a session to their GM, because that's better than a movie. Um hey And uh, they uh, are currently in the middle of a move to a bigger, newer location um, and are actually doing an Indiegogo to help them 
kind of get the funds to get that location to be as awesome as it could be. Um, so if people want to check them out on Facebook, uh, it's Torchlight Games and Hobbies. You can find them on the Google machine and on the Facebook machine and uh, give them all your money and take their games. <laughs> there you go. Okay, cool. Very cool. Um, so I am, aside from thanking uh, Dimitri, who does our intro slash outro, and Joe, who does the art for our show, which has really just been one thumbnail and then images of Stu and I, um, still uh, very, very well done. Uh, just since the, the website went down, uh, you don't really get to see all the cool stuff you did. Um, but, uh, I would also like to just give a shout out to, um, Bean Duck. They're on Twitch, but they're also on YouTube. So it's Bean Duck, uh, B-E-A-N Duck. Um, I have been watching their series of actual play. Uh, the, the actual series is called, um, I believe it's Full Party. Full Party, yes. And it is fun because a uh, little, little secret I'm going to let everybody in on. Uh, by the time you hear this, we will probably have played and recorded our first, if not second, session for uh, Exalted 3rd Edition. We're going to actually do sort of a spin-off show where we, we do an actual play of an RPG. And Dan is invited, and we're also going to be bringing uh, Fred Rojas in from Gaming History 101 Gaming History X to... Uh, just see what we can do see what we can create together but um bean duck uh yeah their their full party is just uh exalted third edition um and it's just great it's a bunch of professional it's very much like critical role uh very very much like critical role um in that it's a bunch of professional actors that are also gamers um all of whom know each other um some of them are le learning the system brand spanking new, so uh, they, they stop and they explain everything that they're doing, which is really, really cool. Um, it's helping me out, and it's helping give me references for what we're going to do for the audio podcast. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm digging it. I burned through 10 sessions. Uh, each session's about an hour to two hours long, and I did that in the last three or four days. Wow. Um, <laughs> well, it was working. Um, but it's, yeah, it's, it's very well presented. Um, makes me wish I knew how to use OBS better. Um, uh, and that we were all in the same room, but, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll make do with what we got. Um, so yeah, I'm going to keep pimping them. Um, they're on Twitch, they're on YouTube, check them out. And other than that, I just want to say, uh, if you want to know more about Learn From Gaming, we've got all kinds of social media. We've got Facebook. We've got Twitter. Actually, that is literally our social media. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you can also email us at learnfromgamingpodcast at gmail.com. Um, and, uh, yeah, we're on, we're on iTunes. Uh, we're on Google Play. And we're on basically anything you can imagine because you can just speak to one of your devices and they will play our podcast. It's pretty cool. Um, I can speak to my phone and it does it. It loves me so much. Um, it also records everything I do. Uh, yeah, that's really all I got to say. So I want to say thank you, Stu, uh, for being here today. Thank you, Dan for being here for your first time. I hope you enjoyed yourself. Yeah, thanks for having me. No problem. Um, <laughs> it also and... just occurred to me that by the time uh, people hear this, that Indiegogo for Torchlight will be it long will be over. over. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. So, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry. No, <laughs> it, it just 
So anyways, still go there and just throw money at them and tell them it came from the past. There you go. Yes. Uh, time traveling. Um, there is nothing out right now in theaters that has anything to do with time traveling. Um, so yeah. Uh, again, thank you everyone. Thank you, Stu. Thank you, Dan, uh, for joining us and tune back in soon.